Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalow, and on this show I interview artists, healers, changemakers, and entrepreneurs about what fires them up and how they put their dreams into action. And today I'm excited to talk about negotiation with attorney Rebecca Neal. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thanks for having me. I love this topic because negotiation is something that we are doing all the time, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, on a daily basis, whether we know it or not. So what are the things that we, we may not even be aware of? Oh, sure. Um, simple conversations with coworkers, with spouses, those are negotiations whether we realize it or not. Um, you know, how to meet all of our goals for the day and, um, and still, you know, have time for everybody else's goals as well. So you're you know? saying that we might even be negotiating with ourselves? Oh, absolutely, yes. Oh, that's so interesting, yeah. So can you say more about that? Well, sure, I mean, when we think about how we organize our day, for example, we think about, well, if I you know, go to lunch at this location, then I won't have time to do my workout. And you know, then you talk to yourself about the pros and cons of each of those, and you evaluate you know, what you'd like to do. Um, so how did, how did you become interested in this topic and um, decide to, you know, help people with it? Well, so I took a class in law school and it blew my mind. It was one of those light switch moments where you flip a switch and you don't think of things the same way anymore. Mm. So um, modern negotiation is not what we traditionally think of as negotiation. Society has this preconceived notion that negotiation is about strongman tactics and, you know, giving ultimatums and deadlines and blustery interactions. Um, but modern negotiation is nothing like that. People um, are more about problem solving and thinking outside the box and these win-win scenarios where um, you understand what the other side wants and you try to see what you can do to meet both sides needs. Um, and once that light switch flipped for me, it made negotiation a lot easier. Uh, it was less intimidating and, and, and it's always interesting. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as the most challenging kinds of negotiation that people do? Do you work with both men and women? Oh, absolutely. Uh -huh. um, I'm a divorce attorney as well as an estate planning attorney. Mm -hmm. um, so I think of myself as a problem solver. Um, and whether a negotiation is hard or not, I think it depends on the skills that you bring to the table and what, uh, what intimidates you. And, you know, sometimes people are too intimidated to negotiate. Um, <clears throat> what are they afraid of? That's a good question. Uh, so they are probably afraid of being told, no, uh, I don't even want to uh, do this deal anymore. For example, somebody may not want to negotiate a salary after a job offer. Um, they may not want to negotiate like the purchase price of a home because they're afraid that the other side's gonna say no and walk away. But the truth of the matter is that's, that's rarely the case. A negotiation isn't this uh, black and white, either or kind of take it or leave it situation. For example, if somebody offers you a job, they've already decided they want to hire you. This is a compensation that they're offering you if you start, that is a negotiation, whether you say yes right away or you counteroffer, right? But if you do counteroffer, 
it's very unlikely they're going to say no, mm -hmm. simply because you counteroffered. They still like you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the worst they could say would be, no, we can't do that, but we can do this. Mm -hmm. And then you still have that job offer in hand, but, you know, not what you counteroffered, but that's okay too, mm -hmm. right? Yes, yes. So what do you, what are some of the, do you think that negotiations or of uh, salary and house spine are some of the biggest ones that people deal with or what else? Hmm. Well, divorce. Oh, yes. So, so salary, buying a home, buying a car, these are the big negotiations that we think of as negotiation. And they make a big impact on our lives because they cost so much money, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there are so many little negotiations that we do throughout our lives that may have a bigger impact that's not necessarily financial. I mean, you negotiate in your job with your coworkers around uh, certain issues that come up around job responsibilities and things like that. And that might influence your, you know, state of well-being and happiness with your, with your work. Um, but when it comes to negotiating a, a big purchase, that's called a transactional negotiation. You probably aren't going to meet the person on the other side ever again. And so you can have more of those, um, those hardball tactics, what we call them. But in a scenario where, for example, with a divorce, okay, um, if you have children together, you are connected to that person for the rest of your children's lives, right? And doing those hardball tactics isn't always the best move because you need to preserve a relationship. Um, and hardball tactics are going to have people walking away um, being more upset than they could be. Uh, that's why people talk a lot about mediating a divorce. A mediation is still a negotiation, um, but hopefully it's done with a knowledge that you're going to have to work together for a long time to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in that kind of case, and you mentioned win-win, how, what do you advise people to do in order to create those kinds of win-win sure. situations? Um, so something I, I learned in this class uh, ten, over 10 years ago in law school is to use silence and to listen to what the other person is telling you. In order to have a win-win bargain, you have to know what their interests are. What do they want to get out of it? There's, um, there's this kind of fable, I guess you could say, about two people at the grocery store. There's one orange left, and they both reach for that last orange. They both want it, and then they get in a fight over who gets to get the orange. Well, if you just fight over who gets the orange, you know, there's a winner and a loser, right? Or you could, you could say, well, let's split the orange in half, and then we can each take half an orange. Uh, and that might not even, that might be a lose-lose scenario if both of them need that full orange. Because it turns out when they speak to each other, they realize that one wants the orange for its juice, and the other one wants the orange for the zest. And look at that, you can have a win-win by splitting up the orange. One person takes the juice, the other person takes the zest. Whereas if you split it in half, nobody gets exactly what they want. And if one person takes all, then one person walks away as a loser. Wow. So, so let's say, um, like, how do you even begin then? Like, someone has to be the speaker and someone has yes. to be the listener. I know. It's funny. Sometimes this tap dance that happens 
particularly between attorneys because they don't want to make the first offer, you know, <laughs> um, because there is that concept where the first offer anchors people. So, uh, for example, well, when you sell a home, you have a listing price and that's the anchor. People are going to make an offer that revolves around that anchoring price, right? Whether or not it's totally tied to the actual value of the mm -hmm. home. And so there is this delicate dance of who's going to make the first offer. But as long as you're aware that you'd be anchoring if you make the first offer, I think it's perfectly okay to start that conversation with that offer and um, see what they say back. And uh, sometimes you need to kind of um, not manipulate, but uh, kind of direct the conversation into a discussion of why did you come to that number? Um, you know, what is it that your client really wants to get out of this, uh, this negotiation? And, and try and open up a conversation that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm thinking as you speak about speaking fees. Uh -huh. And yes. professional speakers, and I've taken a number of courses on this, are advised in two different ways. Mm -hmm. One is to always ask if someone wants you to speak, what is your budget? Yes. And let the organization, the organizer, set that anchor point. Mm -hmm. And other people advise put together like a whole package of all the things you could do with a high number and then mm -hmm. have the organizer say, well, we don't need that, we, you know, or that's too high. Uh -huh. And then you can say, well, I don't need to do this. Maybe you don't need this part. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's interesting to think that there's not a right way of doing it. I think that's right. There isn't a hard and fast rule there. I think you have to gauge this relationship because mm -hmm. you hope that it will be a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. You want repeat business and um, things like that. Uh, that sounds great to anchor high with all sorts of options and they can kind of cut away with, at it mm -hmm. if, if it has more than they need. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like in each case, it's a different, the anchor point gets set by the different uh, party. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. But I think a lot of the hard work goes into determining what that number is. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're the party who's saying what their budget is and they're trying to hire somebody, or you're the party who's trying to be hired. Mm -hmm. I think that referring to authoritative sources, speaking to other speakers about what they charge, what they include, what they expect uh, when they go to a speaking gig, um, as well as looking up speakers you don't know. Maybe they have their rates published. Maybe they don't. I'm not totally familiar with the speaker world, but I'm sure there are plenty of authoritative sources you could go to mm -hmm. to understand what a reasonable first offer would right, be. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and then ask a little bit more than you're comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> be ready to move down a little bit. Well, I guess that's the point, is that you want to start at a place that you feel that someone else can negotiate you from. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there is that sense of satisfaction that you've given that leeway and you can be generous in moving. Mm -hmm. And if yeah. they think you've underpriced yourself, then they will probably take your first anchored offer and you'll say, oh my gosh, what just happened? Yeah, why didn't I ask for more? Exactly. <laughs> so there is, this, there is this negotiator's remorse that happens, which mm -hmm. is why I always suggest to people, you always have to counter offer. No matter what offer you get, you have to counter offer or else everybody's going to walk away thinking, oh my gosh, I could have gotten more or oh my gosh, I could have gotten paid less. 
um, you have to put up a little bit of a, not a fight, but you have to put up a little bit of uh, resistance mm. to let them know, hey, I'd really like this instead. And they say, well, we can't do that. Um, and that's fine. You still have a deal, right? Um, so I always tell clients, <laughs> psychologically, it's just better to do a counteroffer. I know it's really uncomfortable when they offer you something that you'd be okay with walking away with and you just want it over with and you want some closure um, or you really want the job, um, it's hard to make that counter offer, but it's, you, tell, you tell yourself, I'm doing this for everybody's benefit. You know what I mean? So that's how you reframe it. Oh yes, I do it for everybody's benefit. And you know, uh, how you word it, it doesn't have to be an aggressive counter offer. It could be, well, I was looking at, uh, XYZ, you know, statistic, and I think ABC would be a more appropriate compensation level. Then they'll say, well, that's really out of our budget. And, you know, okay, mm -hmm. let's, let's see what we can do, mm -hmm. you know. So. Or, or there may be something else that you would love to ask for in terms mm -hmm. of a perk. Oh, absolutely. Or like working home from a day, for a day yes. or certain vacation, vacation. days mm -hmm. or... Uh, travel allowance or something like that. With mm -hmm. a salary negotiation, there are opportunities to, this is what they call expand the pie. Instead of just looking at these black and white numbers of salary, um, you can think of things that they could add. Or if you're trying to hire somebody, you could think of things you could add that would make it more palatable for that person. Mm -hmm. my, my husband, um, when we moved back to Massachusetts, he got a job offer, and it wasn't quite as competitive as we had hoped, but it was for a nonprofit, and he had to spend the next few months commuting between New York and Massachusetts during the weeks uh, before we could move, because we had a young child. And instead of uh, getting a higher salary, what they negotiated for him was a, tra was a travel perk. So they would pay his mileage up to a certain amount for that commuting that he had to do before we picked up and moved mm -hmm. uh, our home. And it was a real benefit. Um, it wasn't a salary benefit, but it was a way we found to expand the pie. Yeah. yeah. So Rebecca, what is everything negotiable or are there certain things that aren't? Like what? <laughs> I think everything is, but that doesn't mean I negotiate everything. Okay. For example, uh, so sometimes when I talk to acquaintances about, you know, I need help with a certain Thing, like on my website that they have an expertise with. I, that's a friend of mine or an acquaintance. I, I'm not really interested in negotiating with them. I'm not interested in like undercutting and like making them feel like they have to give me some sort of friend discount or something. I, I don't want to, I value the relationship too much to, to ask for that. So I just leave it alone. Um, I think you have to weigh what's the cost of negotiating versus um, the benefit of just, you know, agreeing to whatever they're, they're asking for. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, there, was, um, there was a book I read once a long time ago called You Can Negotiate Everything. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and there were, it gave even examples of people buying things in department stores. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, yeah, you can try. I mean, look, your department store is anchoring you with the price, mm -hmm. right? Maybe you know they have a sale starting tomorrow and you're going to ask, hey, can I get this on sale for the sale price? Can I walk away with it today? 
that's opening up a negotiation, mm -hmm. right? And the salesperson says, no, you really can't do that. Then you say, okay, well, can I put it on hold until the end of the day? <laughs> then you never come back that day. You come the next day and you buy it for the sale price, you know? I mean, people sometimes want to work with you within the bounds of what they can do uh, in order to help meet your needs, but you really have to ask with um, kindness. Uh, uh, I follow the adage of you, you attract more bees with honey than you do with vinegar all the time. I, I am loath to be uh, an aggressively mean negotiator. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that, that it benefits anybody mm -hmm. to be that way. In any case. You know, if the other side is being that way, sometimes you have to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I consistently try to communicate that I'm open to a more collaborative negotiation where we can find what everybody's interested in achieving and see if we can get there. Mm -hmm. um, particularly in my work with divorce, because people are gonna be working together for probably the rest of their lives, whether they like it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't want people walking away bitter. Right. So have you ever had an experience where you walked away bitter? Uh, um, or you felt so, bad, badly about how something went? I mean, I would imagine there's a... So, there's a... so right before I took this negotiation class, I sold my car. I had, um, long story short, I sold my car, which was not in optimal condition. I've always had very cheap cars. So this car I listed at something like $1,800 or something on Craigslist. And the person negotiated with me and we agreed on $1,600, I think. I forget the actual numbers, right? And then right before she's about to write me a check, she says, would you take $1,400? And I said, yes. Why? Why did I do that? Because I was afraid of her walking away. But we'd already agreed on $1,600. And I fully believe that she would have gone with $1,600. But what made me say yes was I had told myself that was my bottom line. I'm not going to sell it for any less than $1,400. And so when she said, would you take $1,400, I was like, yeah, because it met that bottom line. And I had this seller's remorse. So I guess, um, I guess when I think about that counteroffer, that necessary counteroffer, I hearken back to my pre-training experience of I walked away from selling that car feeling like, I failed myself or something. It's two hundred dollars. You know, I didn't fail myself. It was a learning experience that's that I've remembered for over ten years. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's interesting because the the technique she used actually wasn't a disarming one. It's yeah. kind of like the Columbo mm -hmm. effect of you know, you he asks all the questions yeah. and then he goes to the he says, Okay, thanks so much, and he goes to the door and then oh by the way. Ah, yes. You know, and you're a little bit disarmed by that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. just that she, at the very last minute, like, by the way, would you? Yeah. And it's like, it, it surprises you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's funny because then, it, so, years later, I sold another car, right? <laughs> I sold it to a young woman uh, who was pretty shy about the negotiating process. And she was there with her boyfriend, her boyfriend's father, and they're like nudging her, like, you know, ask for something lower than what she's listed it at, you know. They're like nudging her, like, go ahead, like ask. 
And so I kind of waited patiently for her to, to, for her to ask for, you know, a low, to pay less. Uh, and I said to her, no, I, I can't do that, but would you, but how about this? And I met her in the middle. Now, could I, could, could I have sold the car for exactly what I was asking for? Yes, I absolutely could have. But I felt like I wanted to help uh, this person overcome their fear of negotiating. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I was really patient with her because I, I feel like it's really important, especially for women, mm -hmm. to understand that it's okay to ask and we should ask. Mm -hmm. And if we don't ask, you know, look what's going to happen. You know, we've got a, a wage gap. And if we don't ask, we're never going to close that gap. Mm -hmm. so. so speaking of men and women, yeah. what are the differences that you see? Well, I think that women are so much, I, I don't just think this, there's research showing that women are much less likely to, for example, in a salary negotiation, negotiate their salary at all. Um, and it's unfortunate, and I can only guess as to why people do, don't do it, because I've been in that situation many times, and I just want to say, yes, I want to take that. Do you think it's also a, just an awareness that it's possible and how to do it? I think that has something to do with it. I think this concept that negotiation is kind of a man's game mm -hmm. um, and successful only if you're aggressive with these hardball tactics, that's kind of um, holding women back. Something that I've noticed myself even doing is sometimes I I'm about to apologize. I say, you know, I found myself doing this last year. I was talking to somebody about a freelance writing scenario where they would pay me by the article or something like that. And I told him what my rate was, and I was about to say, I'm sorry, it's so high, but that's what my time is worth. I was about to, I caught myself right before I, I said, I'm sorry. There's no need to be sorry. That's what my time is worth. Um, I think a lot of women undervalue what, what they are worth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't want to talk to other people about what their salary is. Obviously, it's a very difficult conversation to have with friends, but there are authoritative sources that you can use online to look at what a typical salary is for a person in that job. Um, and it's intimidating to ask for it. I know because <laughs> whenever I've negotiated my salary, I've gotten pushback. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I think a, a trick that I suggest for women is whenever I negotiate my salary, first off, because I am in, because uh, I'm in a field where negotiation is expected, I almost feel like it's part of my job interview to counter, to ask for more, to negotiate, to show them, hey, I'm a lawyer and this is what you expect me to do with clients and opposing counsel, so here I am. Secondly, so if you're applying for a job in sales or as an attorney or any other kind of job that requires negotiation, think of it as part of your job interview. The second thing I think of that motivates me is I say I'm doing this for all the other women out there who haven't. And I'm trying to set an expectation that it's okay for us to, to ask for what we're worth, to ask for more, to counteroffer. The problem is, too, though, with women is that we have to we run, uh, walk a fine line, particularly female attorneys. I've seen it a lot where if we are too aggressive, it's 
harder for somebody to <laughs> like us, to give us you know, what we're asking for. But at the same time, if we appear too weak, it's also not a good, not a good look for us, right? So we have to walk this fine line. Um, and someone uh, once suggested to start with, for example, you use a salary negotiation scenario and to start with, I really like this job. I think I'm a great fit because of X, Y, Z. Then ask, do your counter offer and then close it with another positive thing. Whether we like it or not, women have this fine line we have to walk. We have to stay positive. We have to smile. Um, we have to maintain our kind of femininity while still advocating for ourselves. Our likability, that's what it, yes, mm -hmm. while still advocating for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate, but, it's a, but it is what works better. Yeah. So what do you see as the common mistakes people make? So um, not asking for what they're worth, not knowing their value, um, apologizing, um, being too quick to speak and fill in some silence. Mm. Sometimes there's silence because someone's actually thinking about it or they're thinking of what they're going to say back. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where there's silence and you feel like, oh my gosh, I have to fill that silence. But be careful. If you fill that silence, it might come out with, I'm sorry, I'm asking for this. <laughs> or uh, another common mistake is that we rationalize right off the bat. Instead of saying, would you take 1400 You know, we would say, would you take 1400 Because I was thinking that, uh, you know, and come out with this kind of diatribe of reasons. Um, when you give all of those reasons, the other side's going to say, well, this isn't valid, that isn't valid, and that's not true. And I'm going to stand by what I want, mm. what I'm asking for. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes it's good to throw it out there without an explanation and see what the reaction is. But it definitely depends on kind of the rapport you have with the other side. Yeah. So I love to ask my guests to pull a card okay. and, and riff on the, the essence or quality that they sure. get. Sure. What it has to do with your topic. Okay. Or anything with else. Negotiation. With okay, negotiation. Okay, let's see. Intuition. Oh, yeah. Intuition is huge with negotiation. It's because every negotiation is literally different. Um, it's not always buying a car from a car salesman you're never going to work with. It's so much more likely to have this relationship issue. And you want to understand what the dynamics are between you and this other person and use your intuition to see how receptive they would be to certain suggestions. Like I said, some opposing counsel, they do this hardball uh, technique. And I know that if I give them an inch, they're gonna you know, take a mile, right? But then there are some who are open to a discussion of how we can reduce conflict and still come out with a good solution. And um, that's when you have to trust your intuition, understand who you're dealing with. That's nice. So it's not just like check, 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 right. but it's also have a sense of the feeling of where do you feel this person is and what what can you mm, just follow in your sensing? Yes, yeah. absolutely, uh -huh. absolutely. And yeah. I think it's unfortunate that we have this cultural perception of negotiation being this hardball scenario when, and it deters women from doing it when I think that women are a little more in tune with their intuition and understanding kind of 
what direction to move in. And so maybe they could be quite good at negotiation. I do think, I do think uh, women are really good at negotiation when they understand how much better it can be um, in this kind of win-win scenario. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for like diving into this topic. Thanks for I, having me. I definitely am, you know, thinking a lot about things you said and uh, and no, I'm going to move forward thinking about negotiation differently. Wonderful. Yeah. So happy to share. So if someone lives in Massachusetts where you live, how can they reach you? So I'm online at uh, bedfordfamilylawyer.com. I do divorce and estate planning, guardianships, and that kind of work. Um, they can find me in Bedford, Mass. Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you happen to have some kind of presentation coming up that you would like to feel more confident in ease, please download my free guided visualization for speaking confidence. You can get that at lindayugalow.com forward slash speaking confidence, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugalo.com forward slash TV.